In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the True Life Podcast. We are here with an incredible individual. We were just having a little conversation about time. Mr. Dan Hawk, can you, for those that may not know you, and my audience should, but for the maybe the one or two that don't, would you be so kind as to introduce yourself and uh, tell them about you a little bit? Yeah, well, I, I'm I'm Dan Hawk. Um, I'm I'm Native American. I'm Oneida, the Iroquois Confederacy. And I have a former military background, Army, Navy, last serving on nuclear act, uh, as a nuclear reactor operator on Bass Tech submarines. Um, so, you know, and I worked with, uh, with NASA, NOAA, Department of Energy, uh, many different projects, uh, you know, um, making carbon, supplying it to Bikini Atoll for radio cesium mitigation so plants could grow radio- radioactive free. Um, you know, I worked with uh, with Dr. Eileen Yinks. We created the the First Nations launch tethered aerostat program and uh, launched the Bison Sat in 2015. And from there, I worked with um, uh, Department of State, got us off the international traffic and arms regulation list, and now working towards getting uh, putting putting tribal people in space. So that's that's where I'm headed. Nice. I learned something new every time, Dan. I didn't. I didn't know you had uh, such a background working with nuclear technology. Well, I spent I spent eight years in submarines, and uh, my first submarine I actually <laughs> actually flew flew to Italy and caught uh, caught our first submarine out of La La, La Pizia. Uh, I think it's La Spezia, maybe I, I forget the pronunciation. But um, uh, from there, I I, I got I, I boarded. Um, the SSN 673, which would be USS, uh, would be the Flying Fish, um, and that was a, a 637 class submarine. And then uh, shortly after that, uh, about a year or two, uh, I was uh, transferred to uh, a, a larger submarine, 6630, uh, 6, 688 class um, submarine, uh, USS Solana. As someone who's been around and worked with nuclear technology like that, and do you, what do you think 
do you think that it's possible for us to see nuclear technology out in in the world today? And if so, is it possible with like thorium reactors or is nuclear something we should be staying away from? Well, um, I, first of all, I would say that everything regarding the, the issue of carbon, uh, carbon climate change should be on the table, including nuclear power. Um, I have to say that, you know, there were no incidences uh, when I was on board submarines. I, I have not had or been anywhere near any instance, incidents on uh, Navy submarines. Um, you know, the SL-1 was a was an Army uh, first try kind of reactor where they lifted rods by hand and uh, they learned wow. an obvious lesson and people <laughs> died in that one. Um, and then, you know, there are some issues with, you know, a Three Mile Island that happened to do with, you know, I can tell you about that, but it was basically a, a condensate problem. They had, they had uh, tagged out one and then the other one failed. And so that was a problem. Um, so, you know, of course you have like uh, the Fukushima Yashi um, plant, which was, you know, obviously a, a disaster in, mag in, a, in large proportions regarding the, the tsunami and what happened there and the fact that their, you know, their backup power supplies was, in, was flooded and they weren't able to work. So that was a problem there. But rea reality though, though, you know, is that um, the power that we provide can be safe if it's done right, mitigated properly. Uh, had had you know Japan's uh, power supplies been you know their backup generators been in an area where they would not have been able to be flooded, would it have maintained some safety there and kept the reactors cool? Yeah, I believe so. So it's just a matter of how we think and believe in things and are able to back them up. But yes, um, nuclear power uh, is definitely on the table when it comes to climate change. Yeah, safe. Yeah. I, I, I have heard some interesting things about thorium and how it the byproduct of thorium is is not the type of nuclear waste that the older version of reactors would give off. And so it seems to me when we're facing disasters and the world is clamoring for energy, if we have the technology, we should be, like you said, it should be on the table. I've heard you say before that we have the technology to do these things right if we're willing to come together and, and work together to create the energy we need, what can you think of something else besides nuclear that would help fill that void? Okay. So when we look at energy and technology, people, we, we see immediately that there are some that are going to be more green than others. Right. Some that are gray greater than others some that are have different problems than others people say well we have wind power great in the but look at you know we're disposing of uh of the turbine blades right um or if you if you have solar and then you know all of a sudden you know 20 years later the solar panel is no longer working what do you do that how do you dispose of those we're talking about electrical vehicles and 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 uh, you know the our EV kind of concepts that we have to we have to have extraction mining and then we have we have um, we have some problems with that that are gray you know and it could even be like child you know child labor and things like that and then and then the other part of that is is that what do we do with those batteries when we when we have to dispose of them you know the international space station uh, they just jettisoned like like two like two and a half tons of, of batteries from the International Space Station, creating, you know, that as a, as a, as a debris wow. uh, issue. You know, they just, you know, just like dangling it off the International Space Station and kind of let it go, you know, and like 
okay you know a big mm. big package you know like yeah you know, a couple tons it's you know it's, it's what do we do so we the problem what we have and we face it we are faced in 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 the united states and actually globally is that we don't externalize costs so what does that mean what does that mean it says that you know when we we want things we want things now we want them cheap and so what happens is that the disposal of these items no matter what it is okay is put in the commons that means other people have to pick it up the, the taxpayers have to pick it up yeah. the you know and 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 infrequently that is environmental racism that is the ones who less likely have the ability to pay for that tab are the ones that are ones having to pick it up and the ones that are the voiceless are the ones that are the ones are the people who are uh, find themselves in these situations where you know they they have uh, environment environmental problems um and be, because because of those things but if we were to if we were to internalize the cost if we make something no matter what it is and we say you know what here's from cradle to grave kind of concept that we 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 build it, design it, and we test it, and we we bring it out to people where they can have it, and then they can use it, and then at the end of life, this is how we dispose of it, and then it's paid for upfront, right? But what happens, and what I believe would happen if that if that was the, if that was the case, is that the companies would then take that money and say, hey, we're we're we're, we're yeah. we know we're we're taking that money for disposal upfront we're not going to dispose of it properly and we're not going to do it. So basically then it becomes a greed problem, right? Uh, so internalizing costs means that those costs are set aside for the disposal of the product. Uh, and if it's not, then that's, that's where the problem is because right now it's not happening and it doesn't matter what it is. So when we get back to technology and how we do things, it, it, it it's all about ethics. Uh, and that's what it comes down to. It's an, it's an ethical issue. Yeah, it seems like that is built into the corporate structure. We privatize the profits, socialize the losses. If you look at the in, right, the internet or any sort of thing that gets built, it's pretty much funded by taxpayers. And then it's get, the government gives out contracts to to multinational corporations or even other corporations. Taxpayers build it, then they take it private, and then they sell it back to everybody. And if they do have some sort of cost for the end or insurance or or some sort of end waste product that just goes right to the to the profits of those people they you know and i shouldn't say those people because i think i'm i'm guilty of this idea of short-termism the whole society we live in has been invaded by it and it, it permeates us and I, I think that that's that's probably something that we could all work on i I like to think we're changing from that, but it, it seems baked into the cake, this idea of short-term profits and not worrying about the long-term problems of, of, of what's going on. Now, as a younger guy, I, I can't remember a time where that wasn't there. As someone who has been through much more experience and lived in different cultures than I have, has, 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 have you seen the world without this problem, Dan? Um, you know, when I, when I was little, we had, we had a community dump not too far away, you know, not understanding and realizing what was going on, but, you know, they were, we, 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 you know, 55 gallon drums of toxic material being dumped in, in there. Yeah. Uh, and it was, it was on a hill and, it, and below the hill was a creek. Um, you know, where they, where they placed it was looking back at us like, oh my gosh, why did you do that? <laughs> it, well, because no, they play, you know, they had, we had 
cars that were disposed there. You know, we had, you know, um, batteries and, and, you know, different types of chemicals. Yep. Yep. And, you know, and I used to remember going there as a kid and playing there. And it's like, oh, my gosh, take a BB gun and, you know, break bottles and <laughs> stuff like that. I mean, it's like, you know, to to think about that, um, that was that was that would have been knowing what I know now would have been no, that's that's wrong. That's horrifying. And, you know, I, I used to go there. It used to be little areas and patches where they had things burning. Right. Right. Yeah. So and, it, and so now you're looking at, you know, what's happening, you know, with with the veterans, you know, and hey, this idea of burn pits. And yeah. I happen to know somebody who's been around those burn pits and they burn everything in those burn pits. And yeah. and, and and here's the thing what happened with the, with, um, you know, I believe with Hurricane Betsy. Right. When they when they put the. Um, when they opened up the Egg Street landfill, and they because they needed a place to put the debris, so they put it in there, and then they covered it up, and then they had, then they created this 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 nice, um, you know, nice. Um, how would you say? Um, um, home area, right? This, um, and, and so so you know, and so then you know, obviously, then what happened was that, and I shouldn't say obviously, but. Um, a community of black people then were on living on top of the Egg Street landfill in, in Louisiana. And uh, they're a cluster of can cluster of cancers, right? Mm. It's a super fun site. But what what was what was not known, right? So you can go to EPA and say, look, we have this chemical, this chemical, and this chemical. But what we don't know is when we put this chemical and this chemical together, right? So when you have a, a, a conglomerate, a a a a a bunch of chemicals put together, what do we have? What 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 is the outcome of that? And so. That I think is is a is problem, right? That is a problem because there's no way of knowing what happens when you're taking a chemical, adding it to another chemical, and in, and looking back in my childhood days, then lighting a match yeah. to it, and and going like, what is in that smoke? You know, what is there? Yeah. You know, and what am I breathing? And so we 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 are like we don't know, and uh, and sometimes uh, you know sometimes what we do we don't realize, you know, the outcome of that. And then they didn't realize that in X Street landfill either, whether it was an, an, an environmental discrimination issue, whether it was environmental racism, it's like, you know, we have this beautiful, you know, this beautiful um, subdivision, you know, would you come live here and we'll, we'll build a school for you and we'll build parks and you can live here on top of this landfill. Um, is that the right thing to do? And, you know, and partly because of the fact that some of the chemicals below the land you know, the, the X Street landfill was, were mixed chemicals of things that we had no idea what, what are there. Now that, that's my belief. Okay. That's my understanding. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not good. That's a pure profit move. That's, that's a piece of land that is not usable. And then a contractor comes and says like, let's just bury it all, put some concrete on it. And then we'll build this low income housing here and we'll charge people more money to live on this land that couldn't have been used. Like that, that's a horrible idea. Yeah, you know, it was. It's even, you know, they had stuff sticking out of the yeah. out of out of the out of the ground. They, you know, you take a shovel and you dig it, and then you got you got garbage. And it's like yeah. it wasn't like what you were saying. It was it probably even worse than that. So oh, you know, uh, yeah, it's not it's not a good not a good thing. So we we need to pay attention sometimes. And so this this brings me to the idea of of monitoring resources from space and you have a lot of expertise and getting up satellites and working with different programs, government programs, state programs. And 
this idea that we can monitor resources from space, you had mentioned that that may have been one of the roadblocks from you getting a satellite up into space. What Can you tell us a little bit about how, what we can monitor in space and what could be done if we could monitor stuff like resources from space? Well, we just, we uh, recently just, we were, we were talking about that because the, the methane sat's going to be launching relatively soon in October. Okay. Uh, that's an environmental defense fund um, project. So when we talk about what is capability, so um, if you, in this case, methane, we're, we're, okay. the, the satellite is designed to see methane. Okay. But what is the resolution of the methane that you can see? Can you see methane coming from a pipe? Or can you know? Um, can you see methane coming from you know all of the methane that's being released in the Black Hills because of all the you know 10 million dead trees? Yes. So um, there are there are things that we can see and things that we can't see. And so then it's a matter of what it is that you're trying to accomplish. What is it mm. you're trying to do, right? So you know here I'm working on you know with uh, with John Hopkins University Applied Physics Lab. Um, you know, a plastic, what they call a plastics cam. In other words, ocean plastics monitoring. How do you monitor ocean plastics from space? And so those are the questions that you have to ask is like, well, what resolution do you need? What can you see? Can you see vinyl compared to polyethylene as an example and there's hundreds of different kinds of plastics and you have medical waste you have yeah. you know you have um you have plastics in materials like the, the clothes that you wear polyesters uh what is it that you're looking for how do you see that and 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 so why would you even want to monitor ocean plastics in the first place sorry so you know obviously you know one of the things that that got my attention was you know when i seen a video of a whale that had you know 40 kilograms of plastics in his stomach starved to death because of the fact that it couldn't eat real food um that really bothers me and so you have to look at that okay so what is the climate change um perspective of that our oceans, uh, you know, they 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 sequester, you know, 30 to 50 percent carbon dioxide. So if you're changing the ecosystem of our our ocean, you are changing the way that we uptake carbon dioxide into the ocean, right? And it has to do with plankton. So now we just have found out with, you know, why is plankton dying? Well, you know, there's, you know, there's study out there right now is that, you know, what has happened over years is that, you know, um, through pesticides, they have gone and you know, uh, run off into ditches and ditches into 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 creeks and creeks into the rivers and rivers into, uh, you know, into into the ocean. And so now you have uh, pesticides that are, are appear to be problematic for zooplankton, as an example. Um, so we have to look at things in the in the big in the big picture. And so you know, I mentioned one of the maybe you know cast before this that. Um, you know, as a Native American, we see things that are all, everything is connected, right? Yeah. So we have this yep. web and you yep. have these strands. So when you hurt one strand, you're hurting the web. And that's kind of what we're doing here is that, you know, is, let's take, take, let's take the zooplankton as an example, right? So if you're, if you're putting too much pesticides on your land, right? And it goes into, you know, into the ditch and into the creek and into the river and then into the ocean, and then it's affecting zooplankton. Here's a case where one thing that we do is affecting something else. 
And, and, and so now who eats that zooplankton, right? So uh, our aquatic life do, you know, they, they, you know, I think there's three different types of plankton. Um, you know, phytoplankton, I believe is one and zooplankton is the other. But the, the point being is that now we have, a, you know, the pesticide use in the farm, maybe in, you know, Wisconsin is now affecting uh, zooplankton in our, in our whales. So, well, we're Wisconsin, you know, we have cows, we don't, we don't do anything with whales, right? Um, but the point being is that we, what we do affects, uh, it, it impacts everything else. It's, everything is connected. We can't say that it doesn't because, it, because the fact of the matter is it's true. Yeah, I, I agree with 100%. I think that we all can play a part. What I, one place I think people come to loggerheads is that it seems to me that corporations have carte blanche of, you know, they can go to a third world country where there's no regulations and they can poison the fields. They can monocrop and they can just do away with the runoff. And there's, there's no real ramifications for them. And it seems to me that they are polluting on a scale that is a hundred, a thousand times more than the individual. Yet there's no real ramifications for them. And in fact, it seems to me that the corporations tend to be in charge of a lot of these climate change policies and I just have a hard time believing that they're going to stop doing things that make them lucrative. They're not going to get in the way of their own profit motive, but they will do what people are calling greenwashing, where they're like, okay, let's, you know what we're going to do? We are going to give X amount of dollars to this, but they don't stop doing the monocle. They don't stop the problem that they're creating. And I, it just seems like the fox is in charge of the hen house sometimes. And it, I, like I, I live in Hawaii. And we have Monsanto over here. And Hawaii is a very cultural, sympathetic place. Like we love our oceans. We love the land. But yet we have these like Sagenta and Monsanto over here. And they have so much money. Like if you go to Molokai, you'll go over there and you'll see nothing but farmland of like these GMO crops. And it's it's only corn. It's only this. They're just monocropping. And there's no real way I have seen people even even though people protest, even though people don't want them, they they are so big and have so much that it's like a behemoth. It's like trying to move that whale when there's only ten or twelve people. Do you find that to be the case? And and if so, what are some strategies we could use to help those companies see what they're doing is wrong? Well, what, 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 people with money, what do they like? They like more money. Right? <laughs> yeah, they do. Right. Okay, so. <laughs> Well, let, let, let's 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 say that's true, right? Yeah. So, um, what we have to do is you have to flip it, right? So, you, if if people are saying, "Well, wait a minute now, we just greenwashing," that's that's not money for us. You have to make it money for them. So, how do you do that? So, you make you make carbon a commodity, mm. and as soon as you make carbon a commodity, now it's like, what did you just say? Like, <laughs> oh my gosh, you mean it? I mean, I can sell that. You mean I I can make money by doing something with carbon? And now, now you have you have the mechanisms to 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 deal with effectively, immediately carbon climate change. Um, and so now, why is that so? Because now you have the people with the money saying, "This is what we need to do because we need to make more money." And so, and that, that's that's where this has to go. It has to go that way, and it's unfortunate. But you know, th there's caps trades. You have sinks. And uh, you see what else? <laughs> there, there's, there's four of them. So you can yeah. you, you, so you, you can you can cap something. You can trade it. You can oh offset. Okay, so all of this all of this is 
if it's, it's if it's placed as a commodity, if it's a commodity, farmers, what do they do? They grow things. It's 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 a cellulosic plant. It's carbon, you know. So you know, you plant a tree. What is it? It's carbon. And so the the reality is though, if you make carbon the commodity that it, it should be all along, because what is gas? What is oil? It's carbon. It's a commodity. We, we don't see the rest of the carbon that we do as a commodity like we do oil and gas. If they were all commodity, anything, this carbon is ubiquitous. Carbon is everywhere. You can you can take a sample in the deepest ocean and you can take the core in, in, in any ice cap and what you will find is carbon. Carbon is everywhere. And so what's necessary is that we make carbon a commodity and, and, and it has to be done. Look, we had this at, at, at Congress where to say, look, carbon is now a commodity. And here is value. Now you place a value on it, just like you place a barrel of oil. And now, now the people who have money, who want more money, are going to say, uh, "I want to be a part of that." And 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 that is when you start to see the movement on car on carbon climate change. What kind of policies? Like what what would those policies like? What would a like? Let's say Monsanto like. What would a carbon policy that effectively changes their their actions, what would that look like? Would that be, okay, if you guys plant this much corn, you owe us this much money or you're, how do you get, how do you, how do you put a price on carbon per plant or how does that break down? Is there any, do you know well, anything about that part? Here, here's what I would do. If, if, if you have one stock of corn, okay. so what do you have? You have the corn and you have the stock. It's cellulosic. You know the stock has got cellulose in it. That's what it's. That's what it is. Corn is cellulosic. It's corn has a lot of sugar in it because that's we corn syrup. You know it's got a lot of sugar. Is carbon. Uh, you know sugar in the base is you know is uh, C six H twelve O six. Okay, so you got one plant, one corn plant, <laughs> stock, leaves, and the corn itself, right? And the cob, right? Yeah. If if I was if I was a farmer and I said, hey, we're carbon is now a commodity, right? What I'm going to do is I'm going to take the corn off. I'm going to sell the corn, whatever I need to do, put it ethanol or you know to you know to 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 food producers or you know or, to, or for for feed for cattle or whatever they do with their corn. Uh, and now what you have left is the cob, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. The leaves and the stock. So what do you do? You you carbonize it. And once you carbonize it, what are you going to do with it? You're going to put it on the ground. You're going to put it on your land, right? And so what happens when you put it on your land? And it's now carbon. It's pyrogenic carbon. What is what's going to happen to it? You put it on your land, it's going to sequester that carbon dioxide for every one ton of, of carbon that you're putting on your land. You're sequestering 3.6 tons of carbon dioxide. And so you're looking back, well, how does that happen? Well, you Amazon, Amazon people hundreds of years ago figured this out, right? So it's nothing more than, you know, in the old technology, you would talk about slash and burn, very kind of kind of thing, right? But what you're gonna do is you're gonna if the farmers, if the farmer is tilling, you're gonna take that carbon, you're gonna till it under. And now you got fertile soil, right? So now you got carbon in the soil, so you have soil organic carbon. And that's what's necessary, right? It's it's the soil organic carbon as a, as a, as a sink that's necessary for mitigating climate change. Because now you have, now what you what that farmer has done is they've created sustainable agriculture the same way that the Amazons did hundreds of years ago. Um, so now, so the next the next time they plant, what are, what's gonna happen? Now that they have soil organic carbon that's increased in there, 
with the next time that they raise their crop, the next time that they plant, the next, their yield is going to be higher. And why is that so? Because when water and carbon mix at the root, they have root sugar. What happens is cellulose, the cellulosic plant. Now you've got sugar that allows that plant to grow bigger. So now if that one corn stalk was four feet tall, uh, next year it'll be four and a half feet tall uh, or, you know, five feet tall. And, and, and instead of uh, X number of bushels, let's say it's 100 bushels. Now it's going to be 110 bushels, 115 bushels. Now you have a higher yield. And so that's what has to happen. And it's, it's nothing more than an education issue and an ability to take that stock, that leaves, that corn cob and say, hey, what am I going to do with this? I'm going to carbonize it. I'm going to use it because now it is a carbon is a commodity and I'm going to put it on my, my land and I'm going to make my land more fertile. And I'm going to have my next planting season. I'm going to have a higher yield. And that's how you have to think about this. How how would they like? Would they weigh it and then fill out a form for the IRS? Like, hey, I had X amount of tons of of sequestered carbon. Like, how how would you how, how can you how do you manage what you don't measure? Like, how would you measure that so that you can manage it? And how like how would that pay scale work? Oh well, you can, you can, you can measure carbon you can you can uh, the same way that you would you know uh, weigh anything else no way uh, <laughs> 100 pounds of seed right so okay, what, what right. is what is uh what's how uh, one ton one ton of feathers and one ton of bricks the same right <laughs> one okay. but but what, what i'm saying here is too is what what's happening in space along with methane yeah. sat green you know uh, ghs uh, greenhouse gases and you know those other types of, uh, of satellites, but, you know, we're, we're getting to the point where, and we are close, if not already, right, being able yeah. to monitor carbon uh, carbon um, a, a, as a sequestration from space. So you won't be able to cheat. So if you have a, you have a corporation that says, hey, I just planted a thousand acres and this is what I planted and this is how much carbon that I sequestered, we can say, wait a minute now. <laughs> You only planted 990 acres and not, you know, a thousand. So you can't, we, we're getting to the point where we won't be able to cheat. And we don't want people to cheat. I mean, because what does that do? That doesn't help. That doesn't help what, what climate change is supposed to do. We're all in this together, right? So that gets back to the, you know, the, your beginning corporate thing about, you know, um, you know, it, the idea of of cheating, right? And, and uh, you know, for, for, for profit, right? Um, and so what we need to do is we have, so it doesn't, it doesn't help much with, with having a, a, a law or some type of, um, you know, some type of, um, you know, let's say farm service um, um, ability to do something without having the monitoring capability of that. And it's the same thing, you know, with crop insurance, right? So you, you got a crop, hey, my crop's dead. I, and they, they strip row it in, uh, or they, they leave a strip and they say, okay, come in here and check it. And here's, here's my row of corn that I did not cut. So you can check the growth and make sure that it's, you know, it's okay. Or, or how much of a loss did I actually take? So I think there's ways that you can monitor that. Um, you know, so it's a policy issue, a policy decision. But the, re the reality is, is that um, if you make carbon a commodity, uh, th those types of, uh, of, of monitoring devices have to come about and partly from space because there's going to be ways that we can monitor from space. So if there's something really outside of the outside of the norm, that's like that doesn't look right. Then you can send troops to the ground and say, okay, let's look at this and let's take another look at it and let's let's see. Let's check it out. That's called ground truthing. So look at mm. some ground truthing. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking as you were speaking about that, I'm pretty confident that we have pretty 
incredible satellites right now that can see not only maybe different gases, but can definitely see license plates and, and land stuff. So if we have this technology, shouldn't we be able to have satellites that can monitor corporations throughout the world? And like, what I think that maybe there should be some sort of public shaming. Like if we have a satellite that can see Monsanto dumping poison into the ocean, then that should be put on TV and maybe their charter should be pulled from the stock market. Maybe they shouldn't be allowed to be a corporation if they're going to poison the earth. You know, maybe there should be tiers and levels of corporate um, malfeasance and potentially even jail time for the CEOs and boards of directors when they're making conscious decisions to do things they know are wrong. And we have the technology to do that. If we have, if we have satellites that can see the methane, if we have satellites that can see the land, then there's no doubt that we have the capability of watching or seeing corporations that are in complete violation of some sort of code. I'd imagine it's some in some country, like why we should be able to hold them accountable for the the problems they're doing but it doesn't seem like there's a there's a will for that and maybe that's corruption maybe that's lobbyists maybe that's politicians or maybe that's a lack of us as citizens of of following through but shouldn't there be some sort of mechanism for penalties by using satellites in space to see what they're doing well there's a, there's a couple problems um you know the the first one for us again native american right so right. we're creating a, a blockchain a blockchain that's nice. distributed across, you know, North America, you know, in Canada and America and, and also in space. Right. Um, but part of that has to do with, with um, evidence locker. Right. Mm. So the evidence locker is, uh, you know, being able to keep the raw data so that it's not manipulated in any way. So if you're a tribal government and you're seeing that, that something is happening with your uh, tribal, um, your, your trust, um, uh, let's say, um, a treaty right let's say it's a timber or grazing right so here's a case where you have let's say a rancher that says uh you know uh you know george we're grazing 1000 head of cattle when in reality they're grazing 1200 head of cattle right? right so so the issue there is that well how do you know that there's an additional two head of 100 head of cattle well so you know you know the satellite would be able okay we count it yeah we yep you have 200 head extra you you need to, you need you need to owe this extra 200 yeah. head of cattle that you're grazing that you said you weren't grazing and they said well wait a minute now that that, that over there that does that's outcrops those are not those, those are not cattle those are you know those are trees or so yeah okay you caught me i I was grazing an extra 150 head of cattle and not 200. <laughs> and so, so then what you do is you go into arbitration and say, look, yeah, mm. I made a mistake. I made an error. So from the tribal government point of view, then would say to the ranch, okay, let's, let's come to an agreement. Then, you know, don't do that again next time. Right. So that, right. then it's, then it's like, Oh, I better not do that. Cause they're watching me. Right. Yeah. Um, so, but so that's the ground truthing. But the part of that is the evidence locker then says, says, here is the real data. This is the real data that we actually took. And yes, the farmer was right. There was some outcrops. There was some trees. Because when we went to ground truth it, it, there was, right? So then what we do is we then we say to the evidence locker of the raw data, we say, here's what it really was. But when we go into court and we go into arbitration, the court's going to say, well, what is the real data? And so, you know, how did you come to this and say, okay, here's the real data. It has not been manipulated. And here's what we, we manipulated because 
there was outcrops, there was trees that were we we thought were cows, but they really weren't, right? Uh, so that that's how that has to work. So you have to have the ability to have, um, the, you know, the firsthand knowledge, yeah. which we don't have. So tribal people do not have. Right. So if we go into, if we try to go into court, the first thing courts can say, well, where's is that your data? I'm gonna say no, that belongs to so and so who owns uh, that satellite, who owns that 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 you know that 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 camera that provides that yep. information. And so we, it's not our data. It's not our right. real. It's not our. It's not ours, right? It's somebody else's. It's third party. It's fourth party. And so part of the issue then, George, is like if you're going into court and you see something happening as well, um, what is the evidence of that? And so you have to be able to have um, a chain of custody to be able to prove this or that, right? And so if you have, we're saying farmers are putting, uh, you know, um, pesticides on their land. Well, which farmer is it? You know, yep. how do, so when you have zooplankton in the ocean that's dying, which farmer is the one, how do you go back? Yep. How do you trace it back to a specific farmer that says you did this, right? And so it has to do with evidence and the ability to, 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 to hold people accountable. So it gets back to ethics again in the very beginnings, yep. like it has to be an ethical thing, right? Because um, we can't all, we, we don't have the ability to to catch everyone, and and so, yeah, it's it's a problem. Yeah, but that's kind of how we how I how I see things, right? Yeah, yeah, I I'm hopeful. Can can people contribute somewhere for you guys to to speed up the process, or is there a place people can go to support what you guys are doing? Well, I mean, obviously, listening to you, George, is, is a big help. <laughs> So um, you, you 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 could be our you could be our um, our marketing person. Right? I'm in. Uh, I'm so, in. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, 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 how to help? Um, you know, um, it, it would be. I would say, oh, and not and not, not for me personally, but right. You know, so we all know that there are places that are near you that that do good things that are, yep. are uh, 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 that we would say um, very supportive of the environment so and I'm and, and the environment is important for me okay so why so um, it doesn't matter how you vote it doesn't matter the color of your skin if you have a good environment that's important right so yep. uh, and that that's how I see it so an environment supports everyone it supports uh, you know it supports you know either side of the aisle um it, it supports our animals um our birds our you know the way that we live you know our how we feel and we go outside and we see something that's clean and nice and pristine compared to something that's dirty and, and awful or smells bad or you know smoky or whatever you know it, we it, it is a, it is a um a way that we have to perceive um what we are is human beings on this what we call blue dot right yeah. um so I, i'm all for in, environmental things because as soon as you have clean water clean air a clean environment that supports everything and all that we do um and 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 the reality is that when we look up for the seventh generation you know that our generations to follow behind us that's the legacy that we want to provide them is that uh, clean environment, you know, clean air, clean water. Uh, so I get really upset when the EPA cuts back on water quality or air quality um, because that hurts everyone. Um, it just doesn't hurt a single, oh, it's just that crick or it's just, you know, that 
you know, this, you know, you're, you're polluting over here as this coal fire plant or whatever. And it's that area, but no, it, it affects everybody, you know, going back to the idea of the web and, and, yeah. and everything is connected and, and that's how we have to see it. And people don't see it that way. They see it as local. It's like, you know what, um, that creek's dirty, but it's not, it, our creek over here is clean. And, and so that it's okay to, to make that one dirty, but it's okay for us to have clean, a clean creek, you know, and it's like, yeah, that, that bothers me. Yeah, that's such a better outlook. I, and I, I think, I think a lot of people are waking up to this idea that we are one organism. And even though like your creek might be clean, the fact that this one is polluted means that pollution's headed your way. It may not be here yet, but it's already affecting you because it's affecting people downstream or upstream. And you can't hide, you can't run away from something that's attacking you because it's going to catch up to you sooner or later. You can, you might think you're ahead of the wave or you might think that you didn't catch the virus, but the fact that the world around you is suffering means that you too are in a world of suffering. And so I, I, I really admire the idea of looking at the world like a web and understanding that every strand touches another strand, no matter how far away that strand is. I, Sometimes I, it brings me back to this idea of language, Dan. And I, I know that in English, we have words that explain everything. However, in English, because it's such a big language, we're able to explain things away. Like sometimes you got so many words that you can say enough things where they don't even mean anything. And I'm wondering, I, I know that, I, I don't know this, but I believe that in some of the indigenous languages, they had different words for concepts. And I'm wondering if the, the native language that a lot of the indigenous people speak shapes the way they think. It seems that, you know, they didn't have a word for owning the land and they didn't have these concepts that seem to be so divisive. How do you think that different languages, or perhaps you could speak a little bit about the Iroquois language and how it affects the way people think or the way indigenous languages makes people think. Oh, wow. You know, um, <laughs> yeah, I'll give you a little story. Okay. You know, when my, when my grandmother was young, she was blind for a little while. <laughs> I'm going to get emotional, but she was blind for a little while and writing on the buckboard with her, with, with her dad. They were, they were, um, uh, going along uh, an area where it's uh, Duck Creek, which would be, for us, it would be Second second Ridge. And there was a pond. And she said to her dad in, in Oneida, there, um, well, um, I, I shouldn't say Oneida. She said that there, were, there was fairies. There was fairies dancing on the pond. And she was blind. Yeah. Um, and, and, and in that conversation with her dad, and, and she realized later that there was no such word. There was no, there was no, um, there was no uh, translation for fairies dancing on the pond. And so I come to find out later that, you know, the translation, the closest one was uh, sky people. Um, yeah, so how we and, 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 and you know pe people claim they claim you know and it's true that when we are signing treaties that that what what was happening was 
a lot of things were happening were, were missing in translation yeah and that was many of the reasons why you know um tribal people lost their land and um that kind of thing is because of uh, uh, uh maybe not being particularly um dishonest but in fact that many of the things that were were talked about and displayed were were not accurate they were they were misinterpreted or misunderstood yep. um and that's kind of how that's kind of how i see it too is that you know um if you're not talking the same language things are going to get missed and and that brings me back to the idea of you know what we're doing with satellites you know when we're talking code the code that we talk is the same code that everybody else talks we're talking the same language so there are there are things out there that that level the playing field that yeah. that we have the ability to to use and to do um, that that is effective for everyone. We, we, when I when I give code to a coder, they know what it is, and does I don't regardless of you know who I am. Uh, so there are there are ways that we can communicate that that um, that are um, uh, that level of playing field, and I and I, I say that in a way that. Um, we have not been dealt with with fairly you know, as far as the, a, a level playing field is from the Native American perspective and point of view. A lot of it has to do with environmental racism, which I'm definitely against, and the idea that they prevented us from going into space to monitor our resources. You know, I just recently I seen a post about, you know, the Colorado River and, you know, this is starting to, you know, the water starting to, to, to wane. And it's going like, okay, well, you know, there was a time where we wanted to go to space and to monitor our water, you know, um, but they prevented us from doing it. So it's kind of ironic in a way that the very thing that they tried to prevent us from doing is now happening. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very hurtful, very painful. Yeah, it, it's 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 not a it's not a coincidence. It's a uh, you know I don't I don't really believe in coincidences. A coincidence is what you get when you apply a bad theory, or when you don't have all the information. You know the fact that you want to monitor resources from space, and the prevailing power doesn't want you to means they're hiding something. You know, and when we talk about language, we one thing we can describe things different, but we can all see an image, and in that image we can see closer to the truth than a language that hides things. It's easy to hide things with language. Some people say language was used for, was maybe invented for lying. But if we see an image and we see a waterway being dried up, then we know there's a problem, you know? And I, I, I really think that it's even happening today when we look at language and we look at the way it's used to manipulate people. Let's fast forward into the future. Like, what are user agreements? Does anyone even read the user agreement when you have a new piece of software or you're using Facebook or you're using anything? They are able to take all of your land, your digital land, your digital fingerprint, and they take that for them and they monetize it. But you sign on to it without really knowing about it. Even if you do read the legal agreements, how many among us speak legalese? How many of us thoroughly understand what 24 Section 524B really means? We don't have the, a lot of people don't have the time or the mental capacity or have gone to law school to understand that. And in a way, it's the same way they stole land from people in the past. They're stealing the rights from people today. But not only the rights, they're stealing resources. They're stealing 
our children's future. They're stealing the the air we breathe. You know, on some levels, if we don't get ahead and create the laws for climate change, then we will be subject to the laws that other people create. So I, I really hope people take the time to get over the idea of, of fighting about climate change and start getting on board about making their own rules for climate change. Like, I think that the very people should be setting the standards for the rules instead of allowing the large corporations and governments to come in and make the rules. You know, we just recently saw a law get passed where they 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 allowed the carried interest for millionaires and billionaires to be pushed through in this thing. And I, I realize there must always be some sort of compromise, but it seems too often that that compromise falls on the good side of the corporate and government powers. And I, I am all for people standing up and fighting for their rights. I don't want anything for free, but I think we need a fair deal. What, what say you about getting ourselves a fair deal? Like as someone who is a fighter, as someone who's been on submarines, as someone who stands up for his people, what kind of motivation and, and what kind of ideas can you help younger people like myself and maybe people watching? What kind of hope can you give us? So a fair deal. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, you're asking for a lot. Uh, but okay, so as as young people, right? Okay, I I see I see um uh, we have to we have to look at the good in things, right? So yeah. Yeah, and that and that's what I would say to somebody who's young, you know, and I, I, I have in my in my in my my packet of four portfolio of marketing kind of things. I said, I, I have this young native girl and she's pointing to a space and she's saying, I want to be an astronaut. Uh, so it's, it's getting to our little, our, our little, in their case, our, you know, native American little kids and saying, Hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you're going to say, well, you want to be a firefighter or a policeman? I said, no, you're going to be an astronaut. Uh, so, you know, the idea there is that we cannot limit um, our children's ability to to aspire to something right yeah and and we have to give them that ability and want to do that you know so uh what what can they aspire to be so in this case i'm, I'm saying an astronaut but in in the it's our responsibility uh to give our kids a, a, a clean environment or walking them to something you know say well you know let's say we're talking about taxes oh we just have this tax bill and, uh, and now we're passing these you know that payment has to be paid by the next generation yeah, our yeah. kids and our grandchildren yep. yep and so and so what we have to say then is um what they're paying for has to be worth something yeah right? Yes, it, it it has to be if they're going to pay extra money for what we're doing today for them because we didn't take care of what we were supposed to, and we didn't if we didn't internalize the costs and we're and we're now passing that on to them to our next generation to our kids, uh, it has to be worth something at the end of the day, um, and so um, what 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 is it that we what is it that we want right so we shouldn't want want more. Uh, we should we should want peace. We should want to be able to work together. We should have a global economy that's that's truly global. That you know that we have fairness in you know in our exports and our imports. That you know we take care of our garbage and dispose of it properly. That you know that uh, we have people who are are really poor have the ability to do 
nice, good things, right? You know, you know, maybe own a car or own a home, uh, you know, maybe have food or, or clean water. Uh, so, you know, it just depends. And so uh, where we are at in the world and how we view things is important. Um, you know, and I have to mention, you know, like, you know, maybe I've done in the past in one of your pods before is that if we're looking at climate change, Okay, so you know, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm a Dust Bowl guy, right? So, you know, yeah. a lot of people died then and you know, a million were displaced. But if you're talking about global climate change, right? And and I see that, you know, there's some reports that, you know, Bangladesh is an example of lose, um, you know, uh, maybe 15, 15% of their land by 2050 that would affect 18 million people. Like, okay, 18 million people, that sounds like a lot of people. Where are they going to go? Uh, you know, what are they going to do? And so um, when we're talking about a global economy, a global place, uh, you know, when we talk about 18 million people as, let's say, climate change refugees, where are they going to go? And they're going to come to America, you know, are where are they going to go? And so I think about these things because that affects everybody else. That affects everything else. It affects our food it's it, it affects water it affects transportation um it affects uh, livelihoods it affects their life um their education their children's education their ability to do things um you know so and that's just one place there's going to be many places like that and so there are going to be winners and losers in climate change um and the losers are going to be really um you know they're going to be affected they're going to be they're going to be impacted in different difficult ways and, and, and we're going to see a lot of loss of life and so we have to come together when we're talking to these kids that are growing up that are our, our kids in our next generation and generations after us how are we going to set them up for things like that that are going to happen how are we going to say that when this happens this is going to happen and this is how we got to take care of it uh, or how we have to deal with it or how we are going to to, to help and support it or mitigate it. Or in some cases, you're gonna, some people are gonna, you know, raise arms and they're gonna, you know, like, we're not gonna let these people in. And we're gonna, you know, we're going to, we're gonna have our own militia to keep that from happening. We have got to come up with good, um, good policies to start dealing with those things now, because it's going to start to happen. And we see some of those, you know, that wrangling is going on right now, like overseas, you know, with, with, you know, the reactive nitrogen and, you know, the takeover of um, uh, Sri Lanka and things like that. I think that's worth at the very beginning. And I mentioned before, you know, in the climate change where, where it's a 10 round ma ma uh, boxing match, right. And we're not even in the ring yet. So we're going to have to find a way to start uh, dealing with these things. And then we have to pass it on to our children that are going to have to understand what it is that we're doing today. Something like that. Yeah. I, I Focusing on the future and providing the youth of tomorrow with opportunity seems to be the best way to solve problems. And I, I, I really like what you said about if we're going to try and tax people now, we should make sure, like it's our responsibility to make sure that that money goes towards a better future for everyone. And I, I think that that is something that we could all focus on. Like we, we can hold people accountable if, if we come together and we have a, if we, if we as people can come together and just narrow down some things that we all agree on, and there's plenty to agree on, 
I think that we can start holding people accountable. And I, I really think that the future, our kids, and the kind of future we want to live in is something that should be part of the conversation about climate change. Too often, it becomes a divisive issue where it's for somehow it turns into Republicans versus Democrats, which really has nothing to do with climate change. You know what? It should be more about what kind of future do we want to live in? Do we want to live in a world where it's a it's a top down structure where people tell us what the climate should be or people tell us what our kids can do? Or, you know, are we going to have to, you know, circle, circle around and, and, and have climate refugees pour into different places because there's nowhere for them to live. I, I really think there's some good conversations we could have that would benefit everybody instead of it devolving into a fight. And sometimes I think that they're the, the, the divisive wedge is placed on us so that we don't have a shot at the table. Does that kind of make sense? Where I, where I come from, they have a saying that says, if you don't have a seat at the table, then you're on the menu. And I think that people are being purposely divided on the topic of climate change so they don't come together and see that we have a seat at the table. What, what do you think about that? Well, we need to reframe it different. The, yeah. the, the, this is all nothing about reframing, right? Yeah. Yep. If we make carbon a commodity, does it matter if there's climate change? It doesn't because now now what you've done is you made it a commodity just like oil and gas. Uh, so people who don't believe in climate change, does it matter if, if you're making money and you're and you're and you're doing carbon offsets? Does it matter if there's climate change? And so that's that's what we have to do is just like you know, we have to we have to do this differently. And so that it does not matter whether one person believes in climate change or not, because it's a matter about. Uh, as an example, we go back to that corn stock and you're, 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 you're selling your corn like you normally would, but now you're taking your carbon, you're taking your corn stock, turn it into carbon, you're putting it in the ground, you're getting a higher yield and, and, and you're sinking carbon. So if there is climate change, then, oh, by the way, you know, I just sunk some carbon. So I, I'm a climate change person now, right? Uh, but that, that person doesn't have to be a climate change person. That could be just a farmer saying, hey, I don't believe in the climate change, but yeah, I believe that, you know, if we put some carbon in the ground, we got some sustainable agriculture here. I can believe in that, that I can believe in, but I don't believe in the climate change. But I, I know that if I put some carbon in the ground and plants are cellulosic and when they grow, they need carbon to do that, then I'm a farmer guy. Yeah, I, I'll do that. And, and the reason why we need to do that is to reframe that is because we, we are divided, right? Yeah. And and so in, in order to in order to get over the, the divisiveness is to say, what can we do that it doesn't matter? And so, and what I just gave you as an example, it doesn't matter. It, you know, to the farmer, it does, hey, I don't believe in climate change, but I, I will put carbon in the ground because that helps my plants. And now, and now I have a higher yield and now I can, now I have more to sell. Now I get more money in my pocket. Plus, oh, by the way, you know, I've sunk carbon. So I get some carbon credits for that. And, and that, that's more money in my pocket. Now I got more money because I've sown carbon and now I have a higher yield. And, 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 and so, so that's what the rea that's where, the, that's where we have to go. We ha has to be, it has to be a win-win for everyone. And, and because if we're talking about a win for half and a win for, and, and not a win for the other half, that is when we get, that's when we get like, Nope, Nope. I, I yeah. don't believe in carbon. I don't believe in climate change. And the other half says, yeah, I believe in climate change. And then we're fighting. So what we need to do is we need to find something in the middle that allows uh, so, so if if there is, I'm just saying, if there is climate change, 
then what we've done is we started the process to mitigate it regardless of whether it's true or not, right? And so that's kind of what I, that's what I'm saying is that um, there is a, there is ways to bring people together to deal with climate change without them even knowing about it, right? And that knowing about it is like, yeah, you put, you create some sustainable agriculture on your, on your land and without even knowing about it, you've helped and supported climate change. And that's kind of how I see it. Yeah, may, maybe there could be some sort of like a, a uh carbon dividend you know like maybe if you maybe if you sequester carbon or if you you know you're doing something to carbon capture then you get a dividend because you're making the world a little bit better like we if if lord knows we are we can just print billions of dollars and give it away so why can't we have a fund for people that are participating in the in the climate um, in the climate economy, you know, we, if we had a climate economy or if we had some sort of corporation that was even, you know what, if we have, <clears throat> what if we had some sort of corporate structure that put satellites in space and was monitoring carbon and you could send, you could fill out like a W seven or something, some sort of tax form that says you sequestered this much, and then you could get a rebate back. I think if you could start putting in financial dividends and financial rewards, or basically incentives for doing the right thing. And you would see people begin to participate in that. And I, I don't see why that couldn't be done. It, it, it seems plausible to me. And then the people, regardless of how they felt about climate change, they could see people getting dividends. Who doesn't want to get a dividend for doing the right thing? You, know, you could reward people for good behavior, for making the planet better. And, and then, you, you know, that, that could be a slow move into, into decarbonizing and getting people comfortable with, with the word climate change. And it could be something people rallied around. One, one part I think that scares people is this dystopian idea that the carbon climate change objective is to charge the individual for the air they breathe. And like, you know, that seems kind of far out there, but you know, if everybody has, if, if everybody has a climate or everybody has a carbon footprint, it almost sounds like, hey, we want to charge all the air you breathe. And you're like, wait a minute. Like, I've been breathing this stuff forever. How, you know, I, I don't think people really want to go there, but that rhetoric is out there. What, how, how would you diffuse that kind of rhetoric? Well, it goes back with – it goes back to, you know, two, number one, you know, words matter, right? Yes. So we can say that, you know, if we create this, this carbon as, um, as a commodity, right? We yeah. treat carbon as a commodity – um, now we speak, let's change the language to, let's change the language to brokers and commodities and, and financial people. Mm. And, and we change the language that, so that's changed to the language that they know. So it does now we're no longer in the language of, of environment where right. we change to the language of money and a commodity and, and, and as a product. Um, and now it, and now what you've done is you've neutralized the the divisiveness, and so um, again, you, if you go back to even saying you're doing the right thing, that's that's dividing, right mm. there. That's a dividing issue because people are gonna are not gonna want to do the right thing. They're like, nope, that's no, I don't want to do the right thing <laughs> because I'm against it. Yeah, for whatever right, reason you're right, against it right. and you will find people like that but if you if you change the language that speaks to everyone 
without having a division in it. If it's money language or if it's a financial language or if it's a, you know, a policy language that is neutral. And so that if you're sinking carbon, it's, it's not, it's not a good thing. You're, you're not helping anything. It's just that this is the policy. Oh yeah. Okay. It's policy. Well, okay. I guess I'll do it. And so that is where we need to go is we need to be in a neutral uh, uh, setting. Uh, uh, we have to treat carbon as a commodity. Um, it has to be for everyone. Uh, and, and, and everyone can then get on board with it, whether they believe in climate change or not. And that is what I think is going to matter at the end of the day um, is that we all along, you know, we should have been treating carbon as a commodity. We, it's the oil and gas, but we see it as oil and gas. We don't see it as carbon commodity, what it really is. So we need to reframe things so that everything is done on a carbon commodity basis. And now you're talking the language of money. And like I said before, you know, with the people who have money, what do they want? They want more money. And so in, in, in that respect, it is the people who have the money who have the ability to do this because why? They want more money. And so that's kind of what I'm saying is that, you know, it is unfortunate that the people, you know, Native Americans or those people that are voiceless have no say. But if you can if you can put it in a way that people who have the money to have the power to say, wow, I sure could use more money because I don't have enough <laughs> and I, I want to do this. And they are the ones who are the ones who are going to do it. Now, if people complain about like, well, Elon Musk, you know, he's got, he's a billionaire. He's going into space. He's making rockets. Well, he's got the money and he's doing it and he's going to create more rockets. He's going to build, you know, going to build more satellites. He's going to do more things. And so the people who have the ability to do those things are the ones that are going to have to step forward and say, yep. Okay. Yep. And, and I'm not saying Dan's no. Dan, Dan said this, this is what's wrong. <laughs> but the point being is that if carbon is a commodity, there are smart people out there that can figure this out so that it is, it is neutral and equal that allows everyone to play the game. And, 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 and who's going to win at the end, the environment's going to win in the end. And when that happens, we all win in the end. That's how I see it. Yeah. I, I'm trying to wrap my brain around. So, in today's policy, like the people that have the most carbon, is that a positive or is that a negative? Like if they're producing a lot of carbon, do they get penalized for that or do they get rewarded for it? It seems like I don't thoroughly understand the way it works. Like if, if you're a rocket company and you're just blasting rockets into space, like you're creating a lot of carbon. You're creating a lot more than maybe even a whole city. You know, and, and if that's the case, shouldn't that person be responsible for paying more for that? I mean, if we look at carbon as a natural capital, an individual, if, if we look at carbon as a commodity, commodities are traded, commodities are worth something. So I, as an individual, I am constantly creating carbon. Thus, I am creating some sort of commodity. Should I be paid for that commodity or should I be penalized for that commodity? It seems like it's it's a weird trade-off because people that are polluters are putting too much carbon out there. So is is there a I mean, is that what the cap and trade is? Like, okay, you can produce this much, but anything over you get in trouble. But anything this much, well, you can sell. 
Could an individual sell their carbon? Like, it seems odd to me a little bit. Well, I guess that's a set in policy. But if you're if you're a farmer, farmers are winners, mm-hmm. right? They have the land and the equipment to sink carbon. And, and to be right. honest with you, George, if we're going to get anywhere out of mitigating climate change, it's going to be the farmers. Okay. They, they don't even realize it yet, you know. So okay. um, they don't understand. Dan, what are you talking about sinking carbon? What do you mean farmers can have the equipment and the land? And they may say, "Oh yeah, we got the land. Uh, we have equipment. How, how does that work? How do we how do we sink carbon?" You know. And so that that becomes that issue. And so um, the reality is that you know the farmers are the ones who are going to be our biggest players and biggest winners in in, in the carbon climate change market. Um, and they're the ones that are rallying mostly against it. It's like, and I don't understand why. Um, and and I and I think I think maybe I should, maybe I should step back. Maybe I do understand the reason why is because of what's happening in the Netherlands because it has mm. to do with nitrogen, right? The reactive nitrogen. So when we're dealing, first of all, when we're dealing with climate change, it has to be through the lens of carbon. It cannot be through the lens of nitrogen. It's not going to work. You know, you can't fix climate change, carbon climate change, with nitrogen. That doesn't work. That that's the wrong thing, right? It's the wrong element. And so um, that's the way that has to be. But the farmers are going to be the big winners, right? Um, and so um, I think a lot of that has to go back to. Um, you know, the, the 1935, the, the Soil Conservation Act and how we got, how we were to get out of the Dust Bowl, right? And that 1935, that act um, has a lot of prescription in it, a lot of things that farmers can do to, to mitigate uh, um, uh, uh, climate change outside of, outside of sinking carbon. So, for example... Um, one of the things that they they recommended in there was the idea of um, shelter belts. So a shelter belt is nothing but a row of trees, let's say between two between two um, uh, strips of land, between two fields, as an example, right? So when the wind blows, this this line of trees then kind of keeps the soil in place. It kind of mm. prevents that from happening. That's the shelter belt, right? So if you had the shelter belt and it's one row of trees, what we really need to do is we need to have two rows of trees or three rows of trees. Now, if you take all the farmland and you said, here's the shelter belts, all the shelter belts that were created back in the 1930s and say, you know what, let's add an extra row of trees or two. What would happen? You know, how many trees would that be? That's a lot. What would happen to the topsoil? We'd be able to sequester more topsoil, keep it from blowing around. And so, you know, they created things like hedgerows. Um, and back then, you know, they um, some of the farms were were, 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 were paid not to farm, right? Then to put it in a conservation program. They had, um, they had uh, some of the farms were put into trees. They, some of their lands were, were, were actually put into trees and they planted trees. But in that, and outside of that, of course, is the sinking of carbon itself, right? Is, is the actual, like the stock I was telling you about, carbonizing it, putting it in the ground. Um, and then now you have sustainable agriculture. So there's a ways that they can do it, but farmers have not yet figured this out, that they're actually the large winners in climate change as far as a, a carbon as a commodity. They just have to realize what it is that they're they're dealing with. And so far they have not. It's completely, they're completely lost. That's a great point. I, I think that if they're able to come up with a roadmap and just be able to see themselves as the winner in climate change, I think it would be a game changer. Yes, absolutely. Man, yeah. that it, it gives me a lot to think about. And, and I got to tell you, 
I really enjoy you taking some time to spend with me in the audience. And I feel like I learned so much and I, I get a different perspective than I had even the last time we talked. And I, I really think that it helps people to, to listen to, to different points of view and different cultural points of view and different points of view, like even learning about the Dust Bowl. I, I guess it's if you don't know your past, you don't know your future. And when we can look back to events like the Dust Bowl, we can look back to, you know, the way we treated or stole land from people. We can see these things happening again. It's it's it may not be that history repeats, but it definitely rhymes. And we are on the the turn again. And it seems that we should be able to mitigate these damages if we just learn from our past. I I'm I'm really thankful, Dan, that you're spending time helping me learn and other people learn. And I look forward to our conversations. And is there anything else that you wanted to 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 leave people with? And where can they find you again to 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 help help the cause? Well, I, United First Nations Planetary Defense, um, you know, gmail.com. Um, so yeah, I, I'm looking forward to our first intertribal space conference coming up in November. Um, you know, bringing bringing um, tribal leaders together with the space industry. Um, that's going to be uh, a huge um, thing for us. You know, we we have not been in space before, so it's going to be interesting in how we can work together and to be able to do that. Um, yeah. So I, until next time, I, I appreciate uh, you know also talking to you, George. Yeah. And I'm hoping that maybe some of the things that I say will spark uh someone to say oh my gosh um you know we better check into this we better do something about it or you know uh, a call to action right yes um, and so you know that's kind of how i see it and, and and uh i'm you know i i'm grateful for the opportunity to you know to say what i think you know and obviously i'm just me but mm -hmm. um hopefully some of it makes sense to some people that they like oh i never thought of it that way before yeah, I, I I think that uh, you speak for a lot of people that maybe don't have the background that you have. And I think that you have a unique background and not only serving on submarines and serving the country, but also serving your people and serving all the people. And you have an unbelievable idea of what's happening in the world of space. That's a rare combination for someone to have. I also think that you got some speaking gigs coming up. And what let's say that people watch this. And they wanted you to come speak at event. Are you are you available to do that? Yeah, I I, I am. You know, I, I know that you know, uh, a, a Sioux Space Summit. I mean, a Sioux Summit is coming. Economic summits coming up in, in end of at the end of September, October. Um, the Intertribal Space Conference in November. The end of November, I'll be going to England to talk about space traffic management. Um, and I think a couple other places after that, like Vienna maybe, and I got the, you know, um, uh, yeah, uh, a lot of stuff going on. And so I'm, I'm happy to, to, to um, you know, to be of assistance to anyone who is interested in uh, listening to what I have to say. Fantastic. And so they can, and they can, and they, if they wanted to get you to come speak at an event, they could reach you at the first, first nations defense fund. Uh, it would be uh, United First Nations Planetary Defense would be okay. UFNPD at uh, wordpress.com. Okay, perfect. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here. Um, I hope that you got the takeaway and enjoy as much as I did. I've gotten some awesome feedback, Dan, and uh, I'm looking forward to our next meeting 
And um, thank you very much for today. Uh, I really enjoy the conversation. And uh, I'm thankful that people like you were out there and, and helping people learn and being on the front lines and standing up to the people that need standing up to. You're an inspiration, my friend. All right. Thank you. Yes, you're okay. welcome. Okay. Nice. Aloha, everybody. Yeah. Okay. Aloha. Bye. See ya. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.